If you're a founder building a company, you're going to eventually have to start hiring executives to help you scale. The people you bring into your leadership team can make or break your startup. I'm Nigel Robinson with Build Talent, and in each episode, we'll be speaking with a founder or expert as we discuss the art and science of hiring leaders, why it matters, and how you can keep up. Welcome to the Gradients Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Gradients Podcast. I am here with our friend Robin Choi, two-time founder and CEO and also host of the A Players Podcast, where he's now had over 60 episodes of gathering information and intelligence and insight all on this world of hiring and talent acquisition. And he's here with us to share more about the tactics and nuances of this whole process, whether it's reaching out to people, how do you get those people to respond, and just all of the things that, that he's learned along the way. Thank you for being here with us, Robin. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be on the other side of the mic today. <laughs> yeah, we're going to try to, to live up to the, the A player uh, caliber. You already do. But so before we dive into all of the things that are going on between A players and higher suite, would love to hear about how you got started in the founder's journey. Like, where are you in your life? What it, was it about being a founder or tackling problems in this particular fashion? How did that all begin for you? Well, as a student, I was always interested in two things, entrepreneurship and finance. And strangely enough, it's, they share a lot of common themes. And I believe that in finance, especially when you work in derivatives, you can work, you can create a lot. You can create new products, you can create new ideas. And it's the same in entrepreneurship. You create new ideas and you bring that to your customers. And eventually, just uh, so during school, I created a first company called Jogger, which you mentioned, uh, lasted for two years. And that was actually already in the working space, even though that was for freelancers, mostly people doing remote work, like translations, software engineering, design, et cetera, et cetera. But that never really took off. So don't Google it. And then we got together with my two co-founders, Ismail and Paul, working on this new product called Hire Suite. And at that time when we created it in 2016, it was a new product. And the question is, how did we get into recruiting? And that's one of the questions that I also ask on the podcast, a players and a lot of people answer the same thing as I fell yeah. into Nobody was going to school for it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, right? I fell into recruiting and I don't really like this because it makes it like accidental, like uh, you fell into this and then, well, whatever, I'll stay there. But that's kind of what happened to us because we started on a different product that was mostly focused on the assessment, especially on software engineers, because it's small or CTO has a strong, very extensive experience in assessing software engineers. So we started with that and then we got to sourcing because that's where the biggest pain is. And if you talk to any company, they'll tell you that their biggest pain is sourcing candidates, which, and that's a, maybe a question for later, but I don't entirely believe that's true. And uh, most of the time people sourcing is the epitome of their problems. They believe the problem is here, but the problem may be later in the process. But anyway, so if you talk, if you're a young graduates wanting to create your company, you have two co-founders, talk to a lot of, of companies, and pretty soon you realize that the big problem is insourcing. And that's how we got working into this. And if you really have a look at the entire processes, it's very interesting to see that some companies are still at this stone age uh, using paper, using loads of outdated software. And overall, the interviewing candidate experience is actually pretty poor. 
There is uh, very limited information for candidates, very hard to know very much about the company you're about to join and even discover new companies. So a lot of people end up choosing their job based on pure luck, someone they met at an event or just a job they happen to stumble upon while searching internet. And it's so important. And the job, your job is so important because you'll spend hours of your day. This is where you'll be meeting friends, maybe your spouse. And so there is this discrepancy. And I think that's the reason why it drives so many young founders, especially with engineering background, which is not my case, but I've met so many people and especially engineers saying, recording is broken. We have to do something. And that's how you get into it. And then there is so many things to fix that you can stay working on these for years. And that's right. obviously still the case today, six years later. And that's hire suite, essentially. It's like, so y'all exactly. were, weren't even working on this as a product. It just became such a problem for you as founders to solve your own hiring issues that you ended up developing Hire Suite along the way. Is that right? Not exactly. It's, um, it's rather that we had an assessment tool that we sold to companies. And all companies would basically say, this tool, this product is great, but we just don't, don't have enough software engineers to interview. Got it. Okay. And we were like, why is that? Because nobody's applying to our job postings. All right. So why? what do you do about it? We just wait for people to apply. Okay, so maybe you should go out and talk to them, right? Yes, but people don't reply and et cetera, et cetera. And one thing yeah, leading yeah. to another, that's how we got started. That's really interesting. And then just after this, did we have to hire for our own team? Right. Okay. No, that makes more sense. And I love that. So there's two sides of Hire Suite. There's the Hire Suite Marketplace. There's the Hire Suite CRM. I've always felt like an applicant tracking system wasn't quite right. I always felt like candidates are more customers than just like applicants, especially when you talk about candidate experience, you're talking about customer experience on some level. And so the CRM model, I, I always thought was like the right way to do it. How did... Where did y'all start? Because now Hire Suite, I'm sure, is like a more evolved version than maybe what that the next step of the MVP was. And you're kind of talking about a little bit of just the thinking that went into like how far downstream, how far upstream do you take it? What were those next steps and what were the signals that you were kind of following along the route to bring you now to the product you have today? So back to 2016, when we decided to tackle that problem that so many companies told us they had. We basically started as a hiring agency. So that's how we, we started, uh, was reaching out to candidates, uh, telling them about a job. I was very transparent from the get-go. We had a lot of information. We did a lot of uh, discovery with our clients. And that's how we started. And we charged a, a success fee. And then we automated more and more of this. And that eventually became Hire Suite Marketplace. And Marketplace is I believe the talent marketplace, similar to Hire.com, it's the next evolution of the hiring agency because it allows as a hiring agency to manage a bigger volume of candidates, bigger volume of clients, while also giving that very white glove experience to both sides. So that's what we do. But basically, it remains service. We have to reach out to new candidates. We have to get them interested about the marketplace. We have to get them apply to the marketplace. And then we have to do the other side as well for companies. Once the company reaches out to a candidate, we have to manage the, the relationship because sometimes the candidate will not reply or the company will forget to reply. So we have to do all this. So basically remains a very much automated talent acquisition recruiting firm. And that makes it easy to understand how we grew from there because at the beginning it was 100% service. And then we grew it to be to include more and more software and more and more product in the experience. 
along that journey, we built our own internal tools to manage our growing talent pool and to help us engage with more candidates and stay more organized because our own talent acquisition team was growing to find more people for the marketplace. And that's how we initially created uh, Hire Suite CRM or the first versions of Hire Suite CRM that we eventually decided to separate in a separate product. And it's been about two years and it's a completely dedicated experience and it's mostly focused on recruiting teams that need to scale their talent acquisition. So, but again, different, no service at all, except that we obviously train and help and have the usual customer success, but this 100% software on this side. Got it. Okay. And just to be clear, most of this marketplace and most of your clients or customers, this is all kind of revolving around software engineering in particular. Is that right? No, again, that's how we started. And it's still mostly the case on the marketplace. But we've had people, because the CRM is a product and you can use it however you want. Sure. We've had people hire accountants, designers, sales marketing, Got it. co-founders as well. So yeah. Wow, that's awesome. That's awesome that people are finding their co-founders on this thing now. Okay, and so you've had a lot of time to think about these problems and have especially been able to see the evolution over the past six years, let's say, on this point. Where do you tend to find the most pain in people's process and maybe some of the kind of the tried and true methods that that you found are low-hanging fruit to alleviating some of these things? My answer would not be the same than what other people will say, I think. I believe a lot of people will say their problem lies in sourcing and in finding candidates and engaging with candidates. I believe that mostly the problem lies in the early stages of discovery. And by discovery, I mean discovering what you really need, setting up the job description, the scorecard, spending time to understand your target audience in your target market. A lot of people tend to use generic job descriptions and think, oh, well, I need a software engineer. I'll need a software engineer. I need someone who's able to work quickly. So I'll need them to be at least two years of experience, but not too expensive either. So maximum five years of experience. And I want them to have experience in my stack and in my type of software. And that's all. And now I start sourcing. Very few people really think about what's in it for the candidates. What's really required? Do you actually need the person to master your, the languages that you're using? Do you really need the person to have experience in your specific field? So a lot of people miss this step. And then that's a problem that's not bowling on the sourcing because you're not talking to the right person. You didn't really think about putting your wording right in explaining what's interesting for them and so on and so on and so on during the interview process. So I would say the biggest problem, the biggest step and where it could be actually most valuable to spend time is in the discovery and really like setting up the scene. What am I looking for? What's interesting for them? What will they be doing in the first few weeks, few months? Uh, where will I find them, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, because that's before you even get to the interview. Yeah. It's like, uh, again, thinking of the candidate as your customer, there is a customer profile that is more high fidelity. They're not all the same, even if they all know the same language and have spent the same amount of years software engineering. And that's there is such a, a wide variance within that that people maybe don't take the time to create enough clarity around that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. So where do you start? Or where? how have you... Because you're building this not just from like a mentality philosophically, but now you're rolling it out through like a product as well. 
what are some of the mechanisms that you've seen that really the high leverage changes that people make in, in these spaces? Do you mean on a product side or like innovating marketing company teams? Both in like how their interview process is changed by this. And then, yeah, how you think about that from the product side. I believe there's maybe one foot than the other, I guess. So there has been a lot of innovation in the uh, recruiting space. It was all about uh, video interviewings a few years ago. And now I feel this has disappeared. Mostly it's not so much about innovation, but just doing things right. If you have a good interviewing process, if you're very responsive to candidates, if you have a good candidate experience, you're being transparent, you share the salary range, you share what the work, what it will look like. You can use a dedicated tool, obviously, to help scheduling. So we've seen much more scheduling tools or candidate experience tools to explain. There's one called guide.code that I really like that shows a lot of transparency to the candidate about the interviewing process. But mostly it's not so much about bringing that new innovation rather than staying organized on top of things, uh, tracking everything. And feels like people are a bit moving away from that very shiny uh, new innovation, AI, uh, chatbots, uh, video interviewing. I know it's about being very humane, very personal in the interview process. And then there are a lot of things that come from this then. The first step is the the first touch point that you have with a candidate, how do you do this? So that can be either through a job post online, that can be through outreach, if you're doing outreach over email or LinkedIn, or that can be through a third party if you work with a hiring agency. So you need to have this all lined up and very clear and keep on iterating to improve this or so track all your data. And I can share a lot of tips on also on how to improve this initial stage, like how to get more candidates to your job postings, how to get more replies to your outreach. So there is a lot to say. And I believe most of the innovation will come here. And it's not so much about finding the right person now than getting them to reply. Right. Yeah. So you say you have produced the clarity that you need. You know exactly who your target customer candidate is. And you now have sourced those people. So you have those two steps. But then there is the huge variance in response rate. We were out there searching on product roles, engineering roles, C-suite, director sometimes. And it's like the variance, you know, I feel like my range, our range maybe here as a firm is anywhere between like 30% to like 10% maybe yield. You know, if I reach out to 10 people, maybe three get back, reach out to 10 people, maybe one get back. What are the, some of the things there the, of tips you have that, that have, you've seen work of how to increase that yield for people in the sourcing? So the thing I'm mostly bullish on recently is recruiting materials because very few companies do this, let alone do this right. So mostly the main recruiting material that people use is job descriptions, obviously. And most of the job descriptions are pretty poor, uh, usually. And there is so much to do in recruiting material, especially using video. And one of my biggest things now is sharing videos. And that's one of the big advice that I give. So you just sit down with the hiring manager or with the person hiring for that role and you ask them questions. So you basically do the discovery, but during a Zoom call that is recorded. And then you can host this on YouTube. There's a ton of providers that can help you get subtitles. So you put this on YouTube, get the subtitles. You can use YouTube chapters to split that in different chapters. And boom, in about one hour, you have a... 10-minute video of the hiring manager explaining what's good about the job, what wow. the person will learn. 
And this is what I believe, and this is also where I believe there will be a lot of innovation in the next few years. But aside from this uh, and this type of hacks, there's a lot of things that you can do as well, like sharing recordings, uh, demo recordings of your product or sharing. So there is a ton that you can share. And you have to keep in mind that, yeah, most people don't know at all about your company, your product, your team. So any information that you give them will help them paint a clear picture. And this will position you as a in very favorable light compared to your competitors for that person. Not, and not just for the efforts either, because on the candidate side, it almost comes back to clarity production again. Where yeah, it's like yeah. the candidate has to have as clear pictures they're able to before they even exactly. have that first conversation of why this is meaningful. Exactly. Wow, that's huge. It reminds me, uh, shout out to Scott over at DeepGram, the co-founder at DeepGram. What we used for the final messaging when people haven't gotten back to us, he had a video of him eating the world's spiciest pepper. And he's like, if I eat this spicy pepper, you have to respond to this email. And then he uh, eats the pepper and is trying to describe to you what Deep Graham is as his mouth is on fire. And like, we got, we actually got a pretty good amount of people responding to that one. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good one. And there's another thing that's very um, specific somehow to recruiting firms that can also be used to internal, by internal recruiting teams is sharing confidential information because as a recruiter you interview people all the time and you have a so much clearer view on the market that the person you're talking to and just sharing a few bits of wisdom and data on the market especially now that people have a very hard time figuring out if the market's good or bad we see a lot of layoffs a lot of uh, also companies hiring like crazy so it's very difficult to understand did the, the salaries change? Did the remote policies change? So another way, another thing that you can do as a recruiter is share a bit of confidential information and explain that you can share more during a call. So the person will be interesting and there is a what's in it for me to organize a call as well. Yeah, yeah. Just like that extra bit of bait to get them on the phone. I feel like getting them on the phone is like, exactly. you can pretty much get close to 100% conversion once they're on the phone. Agreed. Like a, a conversation won't hurt, but getting them to open the email, getting them to respond to that email, getting them to come to the call, though that does become, especially once you have that clarity produced at the front, as you're saying. Okay. And then you said that there were other tips in here. I'm trying to remember if it was, it was not the... Yeah, so... Recruiting material, sharing confidential information, these are the most exciting things for me recently because that's new and I haven't seen a lot of people do this. But then there is the basics. The basics is short messages, straight to the point. If you want to have data, do it, but do it in a PS after the first the, the main message. Always follow up because if you follow up, you'll double the positive reply rate. So if you find one person, if you just send them one message, well, you'll need to work twice as hard to get as many replies because if you follow up, you just get more replies, twice as many replies. So follow up, personalize, make it about the person. We ran some analysis on the messages that our clients have sent to find patterns. And it's interesting to see that it's consistent that people messages where there are more occurrences of you or yours mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. than me or my or ours so if you say more you and you's than me and me minds, you get more positive replies. And it's a good rule to see if you make the message about the person that will be receiving it or about yourself. I was glad to hear you say that one because that's something I've always felt that I never knew. I've never had anybody to really corroborate that feeling of like, if you use 
I-based language, you're making the whole message about you. They're they're like, why do I care about you? If you make it all directed at their at them and what they're going to be able to do and why the opportunity is meaningful for you, not for me. Yeah. Okay. That's huge. I'm glad to hear you say that. And it's subtle, but uh, this is also, this is how you increase your reply rate from 22, 27% to 32% to 34%. And this is why you have to measure everything and also try different things because that helps you put numbers on that feelings. And some feelings might be right and sometimes are wrong as well. But numbers are always right, yeah. provided that there's on sufficient database as well. And there is another thing that I recommend as well. Let me think about it. Short messages. Ah, yeah. That's something that you mentioned. First, you want to send the message. Then you want to have the person open the message, then reply. Then once they reply and engage in a conversation, then move them to a call and then to the next step and then the next step. And it's very important for people to always optimize for the immediate next step and not jump steps. Because if you send a first outreach, cold outreach message, and all you're trying to do is a book a call right away, and you say, here's the link to my calendar, please find a time in my calendar if you're interested, then this will hurt your overall conversion rate because you're trying to skip a step. So always try to first engage and get a conversation started over the email or the initial message, because this is what will eventually get you most candidates in the interview process. Yeah. I like that there's this balance too between being efficient and having a high quality engagement. That like if you won't go for just sheer efficiency, just ruthless efficiency, you know, you go straight to the Calendly, you're asking just like, all right, can you solve my problem type of questions? And then, all right, move them on versus the quality of engagement. It's like, well, what is meaningful to you? What are your motivations? What, let me know sometimes that you're available and keeping like the human interaction at a high caliber. Those I feel like can tend to be at odds, but there is a meaningful balance there. And like the more high caliber person you're going after, the more options they have, the more that human touch becomes more meaningful. Absolutely. And there, back to your earlier question as well. A few years ago, there was that fantasy about the completely automated hiring machine, right? So you get automated lead generation then an AI drafts the messages, send them in a batch <laughs> sequence and you get replies. And then the person goes through the video interviewing process. And I don't believe that's the future of recruiting. And I also believe that people are moving away from this. And that's a good thing because we're not trying to put back the human at the center of the uh, recruiting process. So as you say, you have to find the right balance between automating everything that can be automated and where there is no added value for human to do this like sometimes contact enrichment, finding people, logging data, copy and pasting, et cetera, et cetera. This you need to automate. And everything where the human input will have an impact, uh, drafting the messages, pulling up, et cetera, et cetera, staying organized, the discovery process, um, drafting the job description. This is where you want to keep the, the human, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. Like you can't just remove the human from every step is the point. And um you now are, are building your own company, kind of probably eating your own dog food in this. <laughs> how do you think about scaling as a founder? Or how do you think about developing your own high quality process for as a founder versus as a supplier, as it were? Do you mean recruiting process or all processes? Like how do I grow as a founder? Yeah, like when you think about the way that you 
build your team? Are you using all of your own products in this? And I guess, how do you think about what to do when and when to do what as far as what side of the business you're hiring for and how you prioritize that growth? So we do use our own products. We, even though we also use, so we didn't say competitors, but uh, we also use other products, obviously. So we use products to bust our jobs. We've worked with agencies in the past and we were very happy with them. So we try different things. Because we're conscious about that problem in the discovery, early discovery phase, we try and spend as much time as possible in this discovery phase. That's very important for us. We've also, the difficult part about recruiting is everyone believes they're expert at recruiting. You can ask any founder, they'll give you their recruiting advice. No one really is expert at recruiting. And the second that you start thinking that you're an expert, you start, well, you don't change things anymore so you can get stuck in the past and you can show less respect for the candidates and you can lose that human touch as well. So we're trying not to believe that we're experts and I don't believe we are. We're always trying to improve things. For instance, one of the things that we're considering changing is the reference check. Oh, interesting. With everyone that we've hired so far, we've used reference checks, but they're a bit controversial. So we're thinking about removing reference checks from the process altogether. We've also changed our recruiting process, the stages, the way that we track people. The, so there is a lot of things that we change, but obviously we use our own tools and other tools as well. That's interesting. Of I like this idea of never really believing that you're an expert, that like it'll just solidify your bias. Yeah. It will like, yeah, you'll kind of calcify your beliefs instead of exactly. just like remaining open. Trust me, I know this and then you're <laughs> dead. And so is this was this kind of the impetus behind you starting your own podcast to discover more game around hiring talent? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I and again, I don't believe that I'm an expert. I don't believe I will ever be. And I wouldn't trust someone who tells me straight away that they're an expert. That's often the way to <laughs> understand they're not. And the podcast was part of these. And a good way for me to well, keep on growing as a founder, meeting new people, challenging my ideas. And what I like about the podcast is most of the people that I have, I ask them to be very opinionated. Well, I have a strong opinions, and so am I. And the goal is not about who's right or who's wrong, but mostly about having a different set of opinions so that the audience can pick what feels most relevant. And that's also because there is, especially in, in recruiting, there is no single truth. There is no single KPI. You cannot measure the quality of a hire. And you cannot really measure the quality of a recruiting team. Do they hit the target or not? That's one thing. But then you can hit the target and have a poor selection process. But it's very hard to measure. And there is no absolute truth in recruiting. So you have to build your own truth, listening to different opinions, trying it for yourself and always measuring and seeing the, running your own experiments and measuring the results because there is no absolute truth in recruiting, but there sure is a truth for each person and for each company. Yeah, yeah. There's so much art in it and everybody has a different mission with different needs, different cultures. There's so much to say about like, if you can get a person, will that have been the right person? What At what point in the stage could you have corrected to make sure that you did not get the wrong person or the right person? And you know, you have this quote, talent wins games, but teamwork wins championships. And I love that for this point in particular of like, this not really an objective, or maybe there are a lot of 
subjective elements around the objective that you're trying to hit. Yeah, absolutely. And also it's just to like mitigate the overall podcast because it's called the podcast is called A Players. But the truth is I don't believe there are A players per se. I do believe that some people can have A performance in a certain team and a certain company. So that's the reason why I want to say it's not so much about hiring one person, but about hiring the right person for the right job at the right, right moment for right. the right company. And sometimes you're wrong. You hire the wrong person. And yet it's even more interesting because they will create new things that you didn't expect and they will open new path as well. So again, it's not a science. Yeah, yeah. And um, before we, we let you go, I, I did hear that we're, we're short on time here, but I talked to Jeff Winter, the head of talent acquisition at, at Chime, and uh, he had a lot of good things to say about you. And one of the, the questions that he had for you, I told him that we were going to be having this chat, is that, you know, Robin's talked to so many people on the A Players podcast. What are some of the key insights, the kind of key themes that you've been able to, that have really sunk in over the course of these, you know, 60 plus conversations, things that really stand out to you now over all of those insights you've gathered? Uh, it's a good question. I uh, recognize Jeff here in that question. We had a very good A Players uh, episode together. One common theme across all my different interviews is there is no single truth. You can have two different people saying exactly opposite things. And that happened with Jeff. When should you hire a sourcing team? When should you start separating between sourcing and recruiting? Jeff says from the very earliest hires and another guest said later on. So there is no absolute truth. That's the number one. Number two is measure everything. And most guests that we had on the podcast are very data-driven and they're able to say, this is not the absolute truth, but this show to improve own metric by this. Hence, this is a positive result for us. We've been able to do this. So A, no absolute truth, but measure what works for you. And that's also something that I've said before. And B, learn to love the trade. And again, all those guests are very passionate about recruiting, about measuring, about having impact on people's lives. And that really shows. And recruiting can be super strategic. In a team today, you can everybody hosts their software on the same space. They, everybody has the same office. The only competitive advantage I can have today that's different from the other person, the biggest mood of all is your team. And a strong recruiting team can help you create that mood and can help you create that big competitive advantage. And the more commoditized becomes software and SaaS, it's easier to have new SaaS software. And But people will remain very unique. And so recruiting teams can be very strategic in building your company. And also the best companies understand this. So three learnings. I love that. The talent mode, that is so real and almost never gets talked about. People talk about data modes endlessly, technology modes endlessly, but you can go and get someone with Robin's skill set. You can't get another Robin. There's, he's a one-on-one. Mm -hmm. So the, the talent mode is crucial here. Absolutely. And then as some wrap-up questions, maybe this is a hard wrap-up question, but in your opinion, what will change most in recruiting over the next half decade to a decade? So when we created Higher Suite in 2016, we had that big slide when we raised our seed round that said that the discrepancy between available jobs and available people was to increase and it's going to get more and more a candidate's market rather than company market. 
that was the big trend. And you know, some of these graphs that you put on your sites, you don't really believe in them, but they look nice and they show that there is a big opportunity. And so um, investors love them. So we had that slide and it proved absolutely right. And even more than this. And I believe that will still be the case in the next 10 years. This will be an even, even more economic markets. And so all of the technology that will be created, all the innovation will be focused on helping companies get more relationships with candidates, build talent pools, get in touch with them in a more personalized way. And it will mostly be, I think, about, again, helping humans do their job and not so much about automating entire steps in the process. And so the road can be a bit bumpy. It will change. 2020, bad markets. This year, again, bad market. But I think... Longer term, over the next 10 years, this will be a very, very strong candidate market. Now we see that companies struggle hiring across the board, and not only software engineers or tech roles, but also truck drivers, the hospitality. So there is talent lacking everywhere, and we see the impact in our daily lives because you get less trains because there's nobody to drive the trains, less restaurants, et cetera, et cetera. And I'll, I believe this will even more be the case in the next 10 years and companies have to be ready to this and really gear up and understand that this is so far being strong in recruiting was a nice to have and again a, a nice mode to build but tomorrow it will be a necessary for survival i believe yeah it's like table stakes because even yeah, if exactly. you're able to scale to a certain point as soon as you hit growth stage and maybe you need to hire twice as many people three times as many people but you don't have that engine you don't have the brand you don't have the processes. Yeah. Like you will, it could literally kill you. Even for companies that are not in growth stage restaurants, if you can find someone this summer, then you need to close and we'll see more of this as well. Yeah. And I think to that point, we're actually seeing, you know, you have the LinkedIn as like maybe the Amazon of talent, but then you're starting to see different vertical talent markets pop up. Uh, shout out to Incredible Health. They're trying to solve this nursing and, all of the medical talent pools and making that more efficient. Yeah, unbundling of LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah. Wow, man, you just sent me on a brain blast for sure. But uh, okay, and then final wrap-up questions is uh, who in the world of startup talent and hiring and people, whether whether you've talked to them already or would like to talk to them, someone that you think really highly of and who's done a lot to change your perspective and open your mind, someone you want to give some flowers to publicly. So my biggest goal is to get Reid Hoffman on my final season two A-Players podcast. So I'll, I'll start to drop a few hints here, here and there. So Reid, if you listen to us, shout out to you. And I'd love to have you on the podcast. And I'm coming for you because I'll soon be sending you messages. So absolutely, LinkedIn was the biggest, most uh, impressive innovation in the space for 100 years. And Reid is a great entrepreneur. So I'd love to talk to him. And I recommend everybody follow him and buy his books and listen to his podcast as well. Yeah, Reed's a real one. It's crazy to me. You know, I'm the I'm a millennial recruiter. Like it's hard for me to think about recruiting without LinkedIn. Like I talked to some of my OGs about recruiting before LinkedIn. And it's just so crazy the wild, wild west elements involved. Yeah. Just like smiling and dialing on another level. We had an episode in A Player Season One about the history of recruiting with a person who had been in recruiting since the 90s. And it's crazy to think that in the early days of LinkedIn, people got laid off because they were creating a LinkedIn account because companies oh. expected that they were trying to get posts. Yeah. Oh, you're looking for work now, huh? <laughs> Open to work, are you? <laughs> and that's so 
hard to imagine. And you're right. The word of recording before LinkedIn is um, hard to fathom. But uh, yeah, that it was one of my most favorite episodes, but it didn't really work that much. So I don't know why. Well, it did work, but less than others. But that was a good trip for me, like listening to how yeah, I'm after... the different softwares started and when Yahoo was the biggest of all. So interesting. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm going to have to check that out. And then a book or a podcast that you're reading or listening to right now that, that's really inspiring you. I read a lot, but I will try and find something that's relevant to recruiting. Even if it's not relevant, you know, the world, like all of these things come back around, you know, knowledge is cumulative. Like if, if there's things that are doing it for you. I'm a big fan of history books. Okay. And I'm currently reading a great book on the history of French Revolution. Ooh. And that has so many connections to the startup world and innovation and how the world can change in a few years. And it's interesting for anyone, even people outside of France. And it's a, we all know about Bassi, we all know about Louis XVI, but there is so much more to it. I strongly recommend this. But on a side note, also a book that recruiting people will actually enjoy. Um, recently read Way of the Wolf from Jordan Belfort, The okay. Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, yeah. I was very suspicious of the book, but again, I read a lot of books and I tried to come unbiased. And it was a great read about how to become a better salesperson. And we all need to become better salespeople, especially in recruiting. So if you're listening to this, absolutely do read sales books. And do read this one because it's about how you can... Yeah, I don't want to spoil it, but do read yeah, Way yeah. of the Wolf. It's a great book. We'll drop it in the a link in the description. Shout out to Jordan Belfort, Spreading Game. Cool. Well, Robin, this has been fantastic. I really appreciate you sharing so much we learned. I feel like we got an accelerated crash course <laughs> off the back of your 60 plus conversations, off the back of your six years at Higher Suite. So really appreciate you sharing all this with us and wishing y'all continued success with both the podcast and the company. Thanks, Nigel. Cheers. The Gradients is brought to you by Build Talent. To find out more about us, head to buildtalent.io and make sure to search for The Gradients in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Click follow so you don't miss out on any future episodes. And on behalf of everyone here at Build, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.